this morning, and I purposely did not close off worship this morning because I feel like there's a hyper-focus I have right now of this message that I want to communicate to you today. And I don't mean to build it up or to add any type of hype to it, but I really believe that the Lord has showed me something um, as to the challenge that we are, we are called to run this race, right? It's a race that we're called to run, and many times there's a word in the Bible that's called, that, that tells us to endure, because there's a lot of challenges and there's opposition that we face along this race. And I know that many of you understand that. You have your own challenges and you face off with your own problems. But I want to show you something today. And as I show you this illustration, I'm going to start my message off with it. I know it's going to go right in the face of some of the things that you feel like, well, that's a little extreme, Justin. I'm going to give you an example in just a moment. Dad, if you can stand up, my mom and Patty. Patty, you're going to be Mrs. Disappointment, okay? Mrs. Disappointment. Yes. Wear it well, okay? You're going to stand right here. Mom, you're going to be Mrs. Discouragement. And Dad, you're just going to be Despair, okay? You're over here. So, although there's laughter, this is extremely important for you to understand. As we're running this race, we are called to understand that there's an enemy, and 1 Peter says these words, and I want to read it specifically to you. It's not going to be on the screen, Eli, um, but I want to read it to you. It says these words. As you're running this race, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary. Listen to these words. Your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood all across the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Last week we talked about denying self. You were here last week, you got those cards, you filled them out proudly, right? Deny yourself certain rights. I just met with a gentleman this, uh, this past week, and as we're sitting across the table, I realized this is where he was. Despair. I don't know if you've ever had that chance to talk to somebody in that situation, but it's very difficult uh, to, to be able to communicate to somebody who's in despair because their whole world... Their whole entire world, their disposition, their mindset is all uh, overwhelmed by one thing. What they're going through, what they're facing, what's going on. It's a hopeless situation. At this place, he was done. Like, Justin, I'm done. I can't believe God anymore. I can't keep on running this race anymore. I can't go on with my marriage anymore. I can't, I just, my kids, I, everything seems to be just crumbling around him. He's at a place of despair. But you don't get here right away. This is not where you start. This is not where it all begins. The enemy is roaming, roaming around looking for somebody in this room, and he's just looking. Who can I devour? Like, who can I just take out this week? And I want to show you how he does it. Because if you understand this, and if you're able to disconnect at this level, you literally can walk as Jesus himself did on this life, where circumstances no longer crush you, they actually give you an opportunity where you no longer 
And please hear my heart with this. You no longer see problems. You see possibilities of a God who is able. When you're in despair, you don't see the ability of God. All you wonder is why did God let this happen to you? How did God and why would he let me get to this place? And so it all starts right here with something called, and it's so little, and it's so human, that many of you will be like, are you kidding me, Justin? Come on, we're allowed to be what? Disappointed. That means that somehow, some way, you get disappointed with your husband, you get disappointed with your wife, you get disappointed in your kids, you get disappointed with your job, you get disappointed with what happened in a sporting world. You get disappointed with what happened in the world and who's president and who's not president. And so what happens is there's a little enemy that's roaming around and he's on assignment to go and go, man, you must be so disappointed in your kids. Look at the decisions they made. And you must be so disappointed in God that he let this happen. And you must be so disappointed over the fact that your husband didn't do what he said he was going to do. And you must be disappointed, right? And it goes on and on, and it seems so little. And it's so circumstantial. You must be so disappointed that weather is the way that it is. You must be so disappointed that you didn't get the job that you thought you were going to get. You must be so disappointed that they said the things that they said to you. You must be so disappointed that what you thought life was going to be like, it's not going to be like that. And disappointment lingers around, and we hold on to it. And our conversations are around our disappointment. We start to congregate around it. You're disappointed. I'm disappointed. My husband sucks too. Yours does. <laughs> Holy cow. We're going to talk about my husband this week, not my wife, okay? And so disappointment now is the topic of our life. It's a circumstantial thing. And it's okay to talk about it if you know what the pathway is of the enemy. Because he is tricking us. I am telling you, please hear my words. He is tricking us into, if I can get you to just receive disappointment, and how do you receive it? By saying, oh, I am so disappointed. And now he's got us there to receive disappointment, and no matter who it is, because our expectations were here, something happened here, and now I'm disappointed. How many have ever been disappointed? And so he invites you to go to a little bit of a stronger level because this is circumstantial. This is something didn't work out according to what I expected to happen. I hope that this would play out the way that I wanted it to, but it didn't work out. And therefore, I have a right to be what? Yep. We have a right. We, how many have that right? You do. But I'm telling you, it's a trap of the enemy and if he can get us here, he's attempting to just walk us along into a place where we are now what? Discouraged. Are these guys actors or what? So discouragement is now something that happens internally. It's now a disposition toward life. And so we put on these glasses called discouragement. And now we look at life and go, it's not the way that I hoped it would be. He's not the way that I hoped he would be. She's not the way that I hoped she would be. Life is not the way that I hoped it would be. And we live and now it's a disposition that we walk around. And so although we try and do the church thing and the Christian thing and the God thing, our disposition and our lens is what? Discouragement. 
and he got us to that point. So every time we try to praise, it's hard because the thoughts that go through our mind are what we've been disappointed about. And it causes us to have this disposition. And if this disposition lingers, if it's not broken, if we're not set free, if we don't deny ourselves the right to that, eventually it gets to a place where we are in full. I'm not even going to come close to you. You just stay, <laughs> stay like you are. No acting, okay? No smiling either, okay? It comes to a place of what? Despair. Where we lost, we, we lost, we lost hope. Did I skip? Staying outside to greet people for all this? No, I'm just joking. We lost hope. And now what happens is we start to verbalize, I can't do this anymore. I can't take this anymore. I can't believe anymore. I can't go anymore. I can't keep on fighting another day because we lost here. And I want you to know it all comes down from a little thing that happened in our day that we felt like, man, you know what? I'm so disappointed, which is okay until you now receive it. Because faith is what? Faith is to respond to what my Father in heaven has said and to what Jesus has done. So if she receives disappointing news, and that's why Psalms 112 says you'll have a fear of no bad news. I receive bad news. I have an invitation. One says disappointment. And one says, how about respond to my goodness? And you're like... I feel this. This I can connect with. Why? Because I can feel it. I can feel so disappointed right now. God, why did this happen? And God, why did this uh, not play out the way that I thought it was? And I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying. And so you know what, God? I know I'm disappointed. And we responded now to how we connected with our emotions rather than, Father, you're only good or you're always good. And you're always good to me. And I'm going to choose right now, Father God, not to be disappointed. I'm going to choose to look at you and I'm going to respond to your goodness in my life. What you did is you just dismantled the enemy from getting you all the way to there. So, are you guys understanding that so far? So I'm talking with this man at the table this past week. And he's in this place. And I just want to encourage all of you is that we, just like our Father God, meet people where? Right where they are. So I am not meeting him there and going, you should not be at this place. No, I understand how he got here. And now I'm going to hear him out because he has to, em he has to em empty the trash. He has to unload all of this garbage that he's, he's at a place of despair so he can't see he can't see hope. He can't see beyond that. And that's okay because I know that there's power in the Holy Spirit and there's power in love. So I'm going to meet this man right where he is. And once he's done, I'm going, to, I'm going to help him understand, you know what? I know where you're at, but I want to remind you of something. And I want to remind you of what the enemy did inside your life. And I want to remind you how he did it. And I took him through this process. And this has been a year ago that the Lord showed us this. Last week, he brought it back to our remembrance. And this one, I said, God, why again? Why? It was why I did not go on greet outside because it just kept on coming to my mind of like, Justin, this is extremely important. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, this is how he knocks us all off. One after another. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to often that are either here, they're here, or you know what? They're just flat out here. 
And how can you follow Christ when you're disappointed, you're discouraged, or you're in despair? And I know many of you are in this room are at one of these levels. And I want you to realize that the enemy is the one that is tricking you. He duped you into believing that these are rights that you have, and now you're here, and it's like you don't have any more strength, like you don't even know how, and that's where you need the body of Christ to build you up and to call you up. So thank you guys for illustration sake. So disappointment is circumstantial. Discouragement is something now is an internal disposition, and the despair is where I don't have any more hope. And I just want to encourage you with that understanding is just get a picture of the enemy whispering go, hey, are you disappointed? How could that happen? Like, why didn't God come through? And you're like, that's right. That's a great question. That's a super question. In Isaiah chapter 61, again, that's not going to be on the screen. It says these words. That Jesus, when he comes, he will comfort all who mourn. He will console all those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for their mourning, and a garment of praise for what? Their spirit of heaviness. When you're here, this is a spiritual battle. Despair, this whole process is not just human emotion and you going through tough challenges. This whole process is designed by the enemy to destroy your life. He doesn't have to kill you. He doesn't have to get you to stop going to church. He can get you to a place of despair that no matter what you do, there's still no hope inside your life. And so how do you break out of it? He says here that he will give you what? Spirit of praise. Who in the world wants to even sing something at this point. But I'm telling you, when you realize how God's kingdom works, you start at this place, and I encouraged my brother at the time that I was talking to him, I said, it's time, and I know that you don't want to do this. I know your emotions have no part in this. Right now, it's time to just receive the grace to just say, Father, I praise you. And I can't see the end from the beginning. I can't see a way out. I don't know how you're going to ch change all this. I don't even know if you are going to transform any of this. And I just know, Father God, I can praise you because you're good. And I can praise you because you're right where I'm at. You never leave me and you never forsake me. And now what you're doing is you're lifting that spirit of heaviness off of your life so that you can actually begin to see again. And it's a spiritual battle. It's not just simply getting a, a nap in, although a nap is important physically. It's not just having an encouraging word from a book that you read. It's literally a spiritual fight that he led you down. And it could be a process of many months or many years or even a day. And so as you listen to my words today, my second message, I want you to hear them in the context of what I just mentioned. This journey that we are on is filled with challenges. But every single challenge that you face, every single one of them, comes with it a promise that is precious and great from God. So if I hit a challenge in my life, a marital challenge, challenge with my kids, a challenge on my job, 
challenge internally with an addiction that I'm dealing with or a challenge that I'm facing when it comes to financial situation, every challenge is attached with a promise. And the greatest promise that we have, and I know it's not a, forgive my language, a sexy promise, but it's an important one, is lo, I am with you. And you're like, okay, that's great. Now, how are we paying this? That's great. Now, what are you doing with my spouse? That's great. Now, how are you taking care of? I am with you. Do not be afraid. And when you finally realize that the greatest promise that we are given is that he is with us, and when he is with us, there is nothing that can be against us, it starts to cause inside of us this sense of hope again. We start to believe again. We start to have strength to fight through and to walk this journey again. This journey that we are on is one of faith. It's about responding to who God is for us. And it's about learning to trust the God that we're close to. Regardless of what we may face in the trials that we all encounter, there is always hope. And that was my encouragement to this brother of mine is that there's hope. There's hope for a new beginning. There's hope for a fresh start when you feel like you've just wasted so many years of your life. There's hope of healing from the pain that you face either externally or internally. There's hope of freedom from addictions that we face. There's hope of provision in the midst of the lack that we go through. There's hope of knowing that God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. There's hope of a brighter tomorrow, although today looks dark. There's hope of eternity with our Heavenly Father. And hope, what is hope? Hope is great because it allows you to know that you can believe again. It allows you to kind of get yourself back up and go, okay, I can go another day. Psalms 32 or 31, 24, again, not on the screen. It says, be of good courage, for he shall strengthen your heart. Who will he strengthen? All those who hope in the Lord. So when I begin to hope in God, guess what? My heart is strengthened. And I start to realize, you know what? There's hope for me today. There's hope for me to live again. There's hope for me to believe again. There's hope that God has not rejected me. There's hope that I can be part of a loving community. There's hope of a better job. And there's hope of a a marriage that could be restored. So, Father, I'm just thanking you that I have hope again. And you, you pass the realm of discouragement. And you're no longer disappointed. And now you're believing again. And then guess what happens day number two? Something that is what? Baiting you to be disappointed again. And we go, oh my gosh, God, don't put that on the screen yet, Eli. Let's not go too far ahead. Let's leave them with something to imagine. <laughs> and so what happens is we go, oh my gosh, I, 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 I was so hopeful, and now this happens. And guess what? The enemy goes, you're disappointed. You have every right to be disappointed. Why? Because you believed God and you prayed, and you served, and God set you free, and now he let you experience this. And disappointment happens again. And because we don't know the cycle, one week later, guess what we get back into? Despair again. And it's a cycle. It's a cycle, a vicious cycle of getting free and going back over and over and over again. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 34. That's the only verse that's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read through verse 38. 
And so it says these words. This is the passage that we went over last week. So when he had called the people to himself, along with his disciples, he said these words to them. Whoever desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses or lets go of his life for my sake and the gospels, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What that whole world means is everything that he wanted. He says, what does it profit if he gains the whole world, but he loses the one thing that is most important, his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, this series, we're talking about following Jesus. And I made a statement similar to this last week, but I want to make it again, is following Jesus is not about trying to fit a certain mold. But it's trusting the molder to mold you. When you go into a church setting, there's a culture. And there's a culture that, that uh, tries to force or forces people to conform to that's how we look as a church. We have done everything intentionally as we possibly could to make sure that there is a culture here that does not conform you to a mold of this is what it needs to be like and this is how you need to look. Why? Because conformity has no lasting power and no lasting transformation. And so when I say that we are not trying to fit a mold, you are not trying to look like me. You're not trying to be a Christian like me. You're not trying to be a Christian like Billy Graham. You're not trying to be a Christian like somebody you know on TV. You are not trying to be a mold, fit a mold that you see as that is a good Christian mold to fit. Because if you find a mold that you try to fit, what you're going to do is you're going to try to say, what do they do? I'll do the same. And so what has happened over the years is ministers have spoken. They go, you know what? I pray one hour a day. What do we want to do? Well, He's got the anointing of God. I'm going to what? Pray one hour a day. How many has that worked out for sometimes, right? Then somebody else comes along and goes, I pray three times a day. What are you going to try to do? Maybe one still. <laughs> stay at that hour. Like, okay, that's a little bit too far for me. We won't go there. We'll just stay at one hour a day. And what happens is we try to fit a mold of this is how it looks like to be a Christian. We even look at Jesus and go, okay, I want to just look like Jesus. Rather than trust the one that's molding you. To trust the relational aspect that God is in your life. By his spirit, he dwells inside of you and he's following you. And he will now mold you into the person that he's called you to be. Why? Because you have a personality. And why? Because you have a destiny and you have a purpose on your life. And he wants to make sure those craft together so that we're not all looking just the same. We're not all just thinking exactly the same, although we think according to the scriptures. We're not trying to talk the same language so we all speak the same Christianese that nobody can understand except us, and we just pretend sometimes, you know? We're not trying to conform to that. We're trusting the one that is in our life called the potter, and we are the clay. The clay is at the disposal of the potter's purpose and intention in making that. And so when we're talking about following Jesus, I thought this was very important to say. I didn't want to pass over this. We are following a good and faithful shepherd. This is a shepherd that died for every single one of us. He died for you. 
He proved that he will never be bad toward you. He proved that he would never have your wrong uh, ill at, 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 in his attention. He proved that, hey, I'm going to go to the cross for you so that you would know you can trust me to follow me. So when we're following Jesus, it's not like, man, what crazy, stupid, mean thing is he going to have me do? Or is he going to whip me? Or is he going to correct me? Or is he going to scold me? No, he's a good and a faithful shepherd who is inviting you but says, I took the place that you were on the cross. I took it so that you would know that you could follow me and trust me completely. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? You can put that on the screen now, Eli. As we talked about this idea of following Jesus, I wanted to make sure these, th these four things were in each of the messages that I'm going to speak. Ultimately, following Jesus is about believing who he is. Otherwise, what are you following? You're following just to be a Christian or following a church or following a, a minister. It's not about what this is. A, it's not at all what this is about. This is about saying, you know what? I believe that Jesus was the son of God who lived a perfect life, who died on my behalf, and therefore, you know what? I'm following him not because he promised me a happier life. I'm following him because he's Jesus. Are you following me? So no matter what Ryan does in his life is not going to go, oh man, Ryan, he's not walking with God anymore. You know what? I'm not either. No, I'm following Jesus not because of Ryan. I'm following Jesus because he's Jesus. And he's the Savior of the world. He's the Lord of all. His name is above every single name. He sits at the right hand of majesty and he makes intercession for me. That's the only reason I'm doing all this is because I'm following Jesus. And so as I follow Jesus, as a disciple of Christ, I'm now taking on the mind and the heart of my Savior. I want to think like he thinks. I want to, I want to have a heartbeat toward him. So when he says, love your enemies... It's not just something going, ah, that's uh, a bit extreme there, Jesus. Let's not go there. S somebody slaps you on the face. What do you do? Yes, that is, you, you turn the other cheek, right? You turn the other face. And so when you see him make statements like that, you don't go, you know what? No, God, I want to know, why do you think like that? Well, because I'm love. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so help me to become love too. So that when somebody slaps me on the cheek, I'm not re reluctantly turning my cheek. And then when they slap me again, I'm going to go tell everybody about how mean they were for slapping me twice in the cheek. Right? Because that's not becoming love. Because he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we all know they know exactly what they've done. Right? But Jesus has a way about him. His heart toward people is very different. His compassion toward the one who was stuck in adultery or caught in adultery. The one who had five husbands and didn't. Father, I want that heart for that person. The good Samaritan, which represented Jesus and not us. He's the one that rescued that one. Jesus, give me that heart. Give me a mind. And so as I'm following Christ, I believe who he is. I take on the mind and the heart of who my, the one that I'm following. And then I obey his instructions. There will be clear instructions you see in the scriptures that we are called to obey. And then there's moments where Jesus says, by the Holy Spirit's voice, hey, I want you to go and call so-and-so. I want you to go forgive so-and-so. I know, is Val in here? I know two weeks ago where uh, we were talking about something and the Lord put it quickly on her heart, go and forgive so-and-so. And it's like there's certain instructions and you go, okay, but why? And it doesn't seem like he ever answers that question. Do you know what I'm saying? Like... 
What's the point of asking me that? I asked you to do it. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've, yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? So when you obey his instructions, it's, it, you have to obey. And I've, I've, I've heard some crazy instructions over the years as I've grown up. My, my parents can attest to that, some crazy things I've done. But I felt like, you know what, I was obeying God's instructions. And all the time I think he was just building this, this ability for me to just trust him. And to know that he, he can see things that I can't see. And he's been where places where I haven't been. And the last aspect about enduring or about following Christ is that we're called to endure. It's an endurance race. Can I get an amen? This is not always a love affair with Jesus. I don't wake up with all these goosebumps going, oh my goodness, it's Monday. <laughs> There's times that I do. And that's why people love conferences, right? Because conferences give you the sense of like, holy cow, if life could only be like a conference. But then you go back home and you have kids. Yeah, that's it. I don't even have to say anything more. It's just you have kids. And so you have to endure. There's a process in this following after Christ that has endurance. It's a grind sometimes. And that's why he says don't live by your emotions. Live by your commitment to who I am and follow me. So let's go over that one more time. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. He says, and when he called his people, called the people to himself... With his disciples, he said to them these words, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny. That word deny, I think it's going to be on the screen, Eli. Deny means this. This is extremely important. I hope that you were blessed by the, the message last week. And I hope that you, were, uh, you took it seriously because deny means to refuse to give or to grant something requested or desired to someone. So Jesus says, hey, you want, you, oh, you want to follow? Oh, you want to follow me? Oh, you all want to follow me? Okay, whoever wants to come after me, uh, deny himself. And you're like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, whatever it is that yourself feels like he has a right to, tell him, nope. And so self lives by this mantra. This is also to be on the screen. Self lives by this mantra, I have a right to... So I have a right to be angry. I have a right to complain. I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to hold a grudge. I have a right to just be depressed. I have a right to go through what I'm going through with a bad attitude. I have that right. And Jesus said, okay, okay, let's go over step one one more time. Deny self that right. And when I started to learn this, I remember I came out of a ministry situation when I came out these victim feelings started just emerge. Has everybody felt like a victim before? Like there was an injustice done to you and you felt like, man, God, I hope you make this right. I know that you're the God of vengeance and I, I speak that God of vengeance right now. <laughs> like, go do it, go do it, God. Go be avengeful, you know, but not against me, but against others. And so it rises up on the inside of you and you feel like, okay, something has to happen. Justice has to be served. And I remember we're... I just felt like that phrase came in my heart and it has literally probably been one of the most impactful phrases in my entire life. I am never the victim, but I always overcome. Now, when I, when I heard that phrase, it liberated me. Like it literally set me free because it wasn't, I am not a victim. It was, I am never the victim. Now, I know some of you have been victimized or victimized or victim whatever, victimized. Thank you. I know some of you have been victimized. Some of you have had great injustices done to you. 
and so have I to our degree of however we measure it. But when I heard that phrase, it set me free from them. And now I was free to love them. And no longer was I hurt by them. I actually now hurt for them. And now that became a free life. They still, what they did to me, it was there. There still maybe was a sting to what they did to me. If I dwelt on it, I would go right back into the old way of thinking about it. But when he shared that statement, I am never the victim, but I always overcome. I realized he showed me how to disconnect from another person just like Jesus did. In John 2.24, it says, And Jesus himself entrusted himself to no man. What did that mean? He did not give a man a place in his heart that only God should be taking. And so self says this, I have a right, and you just fill in the blank. And Jesus says, okay, if you're going to follow me, it's time to start telling self you have no more rights. Self is not about pleasure. Please, this Christianity is not about, hey guys, don't enjoy life, don't have happiness, deny yourself that movie, deny yourself that candy, deny yourself that cake, deny yourself all those. No, that's, not, that's not Christianity. That's religion that comes in and goes, all pleasure is bad. I'm talking about the self that says I have a right for me to be the focal point of this life. I have a right to be what? Happy. As an American, you do. As a believer, you don't. You have a right to respond to his goodness. You have a right to be praiseworthy in the moment when it's a challenging. You have a right to the access to his presence, which in his presence there is fullness of joy. But many times we look at happiness and go, you know what, I'm not happy with this, so I will now forsake this and I will go to what makes me happy. Somebody's not happy with a marriage, what do they do? I'm going to find somebody that will make me happy. And so self stands at the proud point of going you have a right to be fill in the blank and so we are called to deny self I know we've been over there before you guys are like you preached this last week can you just stop about the self thing right but I want to make this clear because I, I, I did not say this last week and I thought it was important the self that I'm talking about we all face off of it off with it and some of us think Man, I've been serving God for so long. I've been spending time in his word and I, I've been a Christian for this many years. Why am I still dealing with self? Because he's always there. He's crucified, but it's like he still has a voice, a battery in him. Like he's still like, you know, like one of those toys that you feel like you destroyed it, but it still does its thing. It's like self is always there. He's been crucified and he is not who you are. Self is not you, but he's always there inviting you to follow him. That's an extremely important point to understand is that you will always deal with self. But it's not who you are. So look at these passages. I, 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 do, I want to make sure I don't go right past them just to get to the rest of my message. Go to 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17. So as you look at these passages, you realize that therefore, if anyone, if it, is it not up there? It should be up there, Eli. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He is a new creation. That's who you are. Where are you? In Christ. If you're in Christ, you are a brand new creation. That's who you are. So you're not your old self. 
So when you're denying self, you're not denying who you are. You're denying the self that wants to lead your life. And it says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This next passage, two of them are going to be on the screen together. Galatians 5.24 and Romans 6. And it says this, and those who are Christ's. Okay, who's, who, who is Jesus Christ in here? Okay, everybody, raise your hand, come on. Most of you are. And if you're not, hopefully you become. And those who are Christ have, key word, they what? They have crucified the flesh. Another term for self is the flesh. And then another term for that is the old man. So he said those who are Christ, they have crucified the flesh with its what? Passions and desires. So we know self has passions and desires. And that's why when self has the right, it's very what? Passionate about defending self. Self-protection, self-preservation, self-promotion, anything self-related, it now rises up and go, I'm passionate about taking care of me. And so we have to realize self has been crucified. Knowing this, Romans 6, 6, and please go ahead and read the passages before and after, especially Galatians 5, 16 through 25. It says this, knowing this, that our old man was what? Okay, are you following me? I don't want to bore you with this, but our old man was crucified with who? That means when Christ was on the cross, our old man was crucified him in the spirit realm. Therefore, I can now, what it say, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Jesus was praying. This is at the time when he was about to go to the cross. He was praying. He asked his disciples to tarry with him for an hour. They fell asleep. And then he said these words in Mark 14. I don't think this will be on the screen. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into what? Temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is. And that's why you deny self the right to take any leadership in your life. You have no right, self. Listen to me. You have no right. I have no right to be disappointed with Sarah, with my kids, with you guys, with God. I gave my right up there. I denied myself that right to be disappointed because I know it's a trap. It feels good to be disappointed, doesn't it? Some weird way. It feels like, ah, oh, something bad happened to me. I'm mad and I'm disappointed. But it feels so good to feel disappointed. <laughs> and so Jesus said these words, deny yourself. And what was the next thing he said? And take up your cross. One thing you knew back in the time when he, you know, you, they had crosses. One thing you knew about a man who is carrying a cross is what? He's never coming back. He is going to his death. So Jesus said, man, you guys want to follow me? All of you want to follow me? Those who come to New Day? Hey, deny yourself. Why? Because self will lead you consistently away from where I'm taking you. And take up your what? Take up your cross. I want to show you as we uh, finish off this message with what that means. And I feel like on paper... I hope I can c communicate clearly uh, the clarity that it came to me in my mind. The first one is this. 
Take up the cross means a death of your will. What's your will? Now, just think about this for a moment. Your will is the path and the plan that you have for your life. How many have that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I have a plan and I have a path for my life. The plan is spectacular and the path is very smooth and easy. Right? Nobody has in their plan or their path, I'm going to just do an obstacle here to see how well I'm doing this, okay? And I'm going to add this mean person in my life right here because I think that will just add a little bit of flair to my life. And then, you know what? I really want to challenge in my marriage, so I'm going, to, I'm going to put it right there and that will prepare me accordingly. No, you have a young man named Joseph. He's 17 years old. He has a call of God in his life to lead the entire uh, uh, realm of Egypt with Pharaoh. And so if you had a plan and a path for Joseph, what would you say? All right. Okay, get in a seat. Okay, we're going to teach you what it's like to be second in command, okay? Now get your books out, and we're going to now educate you to become second in command. What was God's plan? He goes, okay, follow me. Watch this. And the brothers threw him into a pit. They thought he was dead. They picked him out of the pit. They sold him to slaves. The slaves brought him to Potiphar, right? Potiphar. Potiphar had him in his house. He had all this favor. Then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He actually said no to that plan. He denied himself. And I love this right here. When you deny yourself, does it all work out? No, it might, denying yourself might land you in jail. Just make sure you're not a criminal for being there, okay? We will support you here at New Day if you did not do the crime. But he was denied himself and he was thrown into where? Prison. He was in prison. He had an opportunity after two years to get out of prison for him to be known to Pharaoh and they forgot about him in prison. And finally, Pharaoh had a dream and God had brought all of this together so that Joseph, as a young man, was prepared by the age of 30 to take command of the greatest nation at that time. And I'm telling you, he has a path and he has a plan for your life. And he didn't reveal it at all to Joseph. But when Joseph stirred before his brothers, what did he say to them? You did not send me here. God did. So he looked at everything that he went through. Somehow, way, God orchestrated all of this madness, all of this craziness to get me to where I'm ready to no longer be the young Joseph that maybe had an ego or had a certain self-confidence about him because I was called to be the great one at such a young, young, such a young age. No, he rid himself of all of that to where God, however you can use me. And he prepared him the entire way. So the death of my will, as I take up my cross, I realize when I surrender that cross, what I'm doing is saying, saying, God, I give you my will. I have a path and I have a plan in my heart for my life. I know some people who long to be businessmen and God called them to be pastors. I know some people who long to be in ministry and God called them to do something else. I know we have longings in our heart and it's this daily surrender of going, God, because it says take up your cross daily actually. Three different passages in the Bible says, take up your cross daily. Father, I surrender my will. I actually give you my plans and I give you the purposes or the desires of my heart for my life and I surrender them to you. And that's where we see Jesus who modeled it for us. He's going to the cross. He is in complete despair at this point. I mean, his face is dripping blood. And he says, Father, take this what? 
cup from me. Father, I can't, I can't, no, there has to be another way. Take this cup from me. Have somebody else drink it. And then he came to himself and he said what? But not my, yours, be done. And there's always tension. Don't be disappointed over tension. Don't be disappointed in the struggle. Of course there's going to be a struggle. Just picture yourself new in Christ and self has a, a, a tug, of ro, ro, tug, tug of rope, tug of war rope. Thank you, Nikki. I always look to Nikki, the smart one. Pulling this way. I don't know who's pulling this way, but God's just like saying, follow me. And you feel like there's tension. And there's many moments like that. Whether it's starting something like this called New Day, or it's uh, me and Sarah had to move to Florida. It's like there's many moments where it's like, I thought I was going to take over another place before. It's like, holy cow, God, like, make up my mind, please. <laughs> and what I, what I realized is there's moments, all those had tension. Until I just went, not my will, but your will be done. If that is your will, Father God, and I don't know 100% if it is, we never will, it's yours. Because I want to follow you. And I want what you have for my life, and so I give it up to you. And some people are so stubborn inside and say, I'll never, and I'll never go there, and I'll never do that. I'll... Do you know who you are? Like, are you... Do you know he's listening? <laughs> like, I, I am persuaded, and this is not doctrine, but it is my doctrine. The moment I say never, he's going to make me do it. I know it. And so I'm just saying is that that place of never is self. Self is going, I will never, I could never, I will never. And it's like, then you're not following him. Self has risen to the top. It's a surrendering of my will. The second thing that I know as I'm following after Christ, it's a death of my rights. I am giving up my rights to what? To live for self. I am saying I no longer will live for me. I no longer will be married for me. I no longer will parent for me. I no longer will pastor for me. And how, do, how many know self some has a way of just weaving itself in into everything? And that's why you got to deny self. So taking up your cross daily is, Father, today, this morning, I surrender my right to live for me. I surrender my right to go after what I want and what I feel is right in my heart and I'm going to give you the freedom to guide my life. 2 Corinthians, this is on the screen, Eli, 5, 14 and 15. Just look at this. I love this. For the love of Christ compels us. If God's love is not compelling you, I promise you self is. And so the love of God was compelling these apostles and the disciples to say, no matter what the cost, no matter how I'm going to die for the sake of Christ, it compels us to go after what God has for us. It compelled me to start this. It compelled me to go to Florida. It compelled me to step away from something that I longed for. Why? Because the love of Christ compelled me because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. For he died for all, and those who, should, those who live should no longer live for themselves. You don't serve from yourselves. You don't sing for yourself. You don't go to your job for yourself. It says, do all that you do as unto the Lord. Self is no longer allowed to be part of your life. Are you following me? 
You can enjoy this new man in Christ. You can enjoy relationships. Pleasure abounds when it comes to living for God. But I no longer give myself the right to live for myself today. And so say, I say, Father, I surrender not only my will for what I have for my life, but I surrender my rights to live for myself. And the last one is this. It's a death of my identity. Boy, did he kill my identity in three years before New Day. Like, obliterated it. It was crazy. Didn't know I was identifying with so many things inside my life. But hear what I wrote right here. I think this will be on the screen. You are no longer, I am no longer what I achieved. Put that on the screen if you can, I think. I no longer identify with what I achieve. You know what? I think it's great to go out and do amazing things for God but I am not going to admire you for what you achieve. I'm going to admire you for who you are. And who are you? You're a son and you're a daughter of God. And we look at people, we look at ministers, we look at people who are in the, the business world and we're like, wow, look at what they're uh, achieving. And so we identify with them. That's what they did. And, and so we now take on that same identity. What do I do? And that's why I love that movie, Overcomer. I thought it was a great scene where it says, who are you? Well, I'm a coach, okay? If you didn't have coach, who are you? Well, I'm a husband. Well, if you didn't have a wife, who are you? I'm a father. Well, if you didn't have kids, who are you? Because at the end of the day, we fall into the trap of identifying with what I achieve. And what we do, think about this, is I take my achievements throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the year, and I bring them to God and go, God, oh, just do you like my sacrifice of achievements to you? And that's exactly what Cain did. Cain and Abel, remember, Abel brought a sacrifice of what? An animal. And Cain brought a sacrifice of the labor, the fruit of his labor in the field. And he brought that sacrifice and said, God, are you pleased with my labor, what I achieved? And God looked at Cain or Abel and goes, he didn't create this animal. He didn't do nothing for this animal. And now he's offering that on behalf of himself. I no longer identify with how I feel. And a resounding amen goes across the entire sanctuary. Amen, 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 amen. That's great, Justin. That's awesome. I no longer with identify with how I feel. So this is how, this is how many of us live. I feel, therefore I am. And me and John had a great discussion three or four months ago is because I feel this way, therefore I am depressed. I am discouraged. I am disappointed. I am those things. And you can have those conversations with somebody that's going to build you up. But if you don't, you will end up commiserating with people and it will keep you identifying with, this is how I am. How do you know you're that? Because that's how I And we identify with how I feel, therefore I I no longer have to identify with what I have. I didn't realize how big that was a part of me. Sarah and I's combined income before we moved to Florida was very good. And we had many nice things. And then when my daughter got sick, we didn't have insurance at the time. I didn't have a job at the time and finances were going out. I lost all those nice things personally for me. I didn't realize how much I identified with how people saw me through those things that I had. 
And I no longer have to identify with what I have. And that's what I love about Sarah because it's not about stuff anymore. She's been through such heartache throughout her life. She realizes stuff is stupid compared to what life is truly about. And how about this one? I no longer identify with what I did in my past. Some of you are stuck there. Some of you still see yourself as the divorced person, as the adulterer, as a somebody who uh, uh, fornicated. You, see, you still see yourself as a sinner. You still see yourself as one who was addicted to this or was addicted to that or somebody who does some things to their body that they shouldn't do. You see yourself and so you identify with that's who I, I still am. And so when I come to God and he says, take up your cross, I surrender my will, which is my plan and my path. I surrender, what's the second one? Do you remember? Nobody? My rights? You're, like, you're still holding on to those things. I surrender my light rights and then I surrender my identity and no longer will identify with those things. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ. I, uh, that, that's a true statement. I'm not trying to get there. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. The Christ now lives on the inside of me. Give me two more minutes. Because I think this is on the screen. Every day our prime objective. Go to the three, number one, two, three. Every day our prime objective. I don't, I don't know if it's on there. Uh, I'll say it for you. God's view of us. That should be on there, Eli. So every day my prime objective, now that I'm following Christ, is three things. To receive God's view of me. How does God view me? What is God's purpose for me? And what is his thoughts toward me? David said it like this. Your thoughts are so precious toward me, O Lord. They actually outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. So every day I wake up. And these are the three things that I try to think about. God, what is your view of me today? What's your purpose for me today in my life? And what are your thoughts toward me? And every time I receive those, I feel like, you know what? I can follow him. And I can take another step, which is called today, closer toward what he has for me and what he's called me to do. And when I realize that I'm not going to a destination, it's all about becoming on the journey. Jesus is not taking me to some destination. He took me to the Father. And now it's a journey that I have of discovering who he is for me and who I am to him. So my, my question to all of you is who will take up your cross? Who will surrender your will? Who will surrender your rights? And who will surrender your identity so that you can follow the one who is faithful and so good? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, we just bless you today. We thank you for your presence and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom and for your grace. Father, help us as your sons and daughters to follow you. Help us to have the courage and the grace to deny self and to take up our cross daily. That we can trust that you're always good to us. You always have our best in mind and you're always setting us up to succeed in what you've called us to do. So we bless you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for being here. And I thank you for meeting people right where they are. Amen. I know some of you are at the place of disappointment, discouragement, and despair. All I ask is that you find somebody that you trust 
and just let them know where you're at. You know, as a pastor, we default to, hey, let's just do a prayer line and hopefully that will work. But I think there's power in community. There's power in building each other up and encouraging one another. And there's power in transparency. I've said it from day one. This is the first time I grabbed one of these in probably three or four months. And on the back, I was looking at it and I said, man, God, you've done that. As I said, God, what happens when somebody comes to our church called New Day and where are you taking them? And there's these phases that I put on the back here and the first one that I saw was authenticity. Come as you are. I don't want you to pretend when you have to come to church. I don't want you to put on a smile. I don't want you to you put on the Christian language and, the, and put on the Christian hat, I, I, the Christian cape. Like, No, come as you are. If this is who you are, be real and let's, let God meet you right where you are. And if we don't as people, then we mess up. We, we, we literally messed up. If we judge somebody for how they came as they are, we missed it. Because we don't like maybe where we are. The second one is identity. Then you learn who you are. The third one was community. And the last one was destiny. I was like, God, may we never forget that wherever you come into this place, a message doesn't just fix that. I don't pretend to go, well, yeah, you should, do you listen to the message? You should be better. No, no. It's a process of receiving to become in God's kingdom. And so if you're one of those three, just tell somebody. Break the shame. If you want to break that power, tell somebody. You'll, you'll see that you're not embarrassed by that and they won't judge you for that because they may say right back, I'm there with you. And then you could pray for each other. You don't need some perfect person to pray for you. I face off with dis disappointment. I mean, Alejandro just asked me today, that was a great question. I never get asked it. Don't you ever feel like quitting? <laughs> she, I mean, but she tried to see it from a pastor's perspective. And, 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 and we all go through it. There's nobody perfect. I don't stand up here because I got this all. I, I can teach it. But I still have to live it myself. I still have to deny self. I still have an ugly self that is uglier than can be. Smellier than can be. But we all have it. And I hope I can model it for you as I'm called to do as a pastor. But at the end of the day... We're all in the same boat. And so let's encourage each other and pray for each other. So if that's one of you, just go ahead and share that with somebody. If you don't mind standing, we're going to sing one more song. I'm going to ask Alejandra to come up. I'm going to ask Mike and Jess to come up. Byron and Anna to come up. As you, many of you know, some of you don't, Alejandra, this is...